Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. And we're coming to you live today from downtown Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm actually from this part of the world. Uh, I was born in Philly, but I spent time in in small town America at its finest, uh, this little place in the, the western part of Pennsylvania uh, called Johnstown. It's in uh, Cambria County in western Pennsylvania. And uh, I'm not here just for sentimental uh, reasons, though this has been an interesting sentimental journey. But um, Cambria County came to my attention uh, oh, about four or five years ago uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One being that theirs is a uh, community-owned network and it is a wireless network and a fairly extensive wireless network. And in this era where we're talking pretty much about um, you know fiber networks and gigabit networks and so forth, wireless is always downplayed or often is downplayed when in reality wireless is still a very viable technology, and I would contend that the technology here is, um, you know, destined to continue to improve because there are, there's there's technology being developed to, in essence, be able to move data at gigabit speeds across wireless networks. So, um, so there's that factor plus the fact that in some places you really can't do a broadband network unless it's wireless. And so to, to talk about uh, Cambria County's project. Uh, I have with me, uh, my guest is Steve uh, Etienne, who is the director of the Cambria County Technology Department. Um, Steve, welcome to the show. Great. It's good to be here. And uh, I'm very happy to have you. And the other thing about the, the network that came to my attention is if you're familiar with the Philadelphia versus Verizon throwdown back in 2004, uh, which basically... Uh, on the one hand, Philadelphia was able to move forward with its well, Wi-Fi, municipal Wi-Fi project. At the, on the other hand, there was a law passed that restricted communities from building um, broadband networks. And the interesting thing is that there is a way, if you read the law, there is a way for communities to actually move forward. But the only one that has seems to be Cambria County, and, and that pretty much caught my attention, you know, the how-tos. And before we get into the, the how-tos of the, you know, the politics of it all, let's start by explaining, uh, first off, why is fiber really not a good option here for, for Cambria County? Well, a good question, and I have been asked that numerous times. We live in the mountains, the um, very rural mountainous uh, county, actually. Our total population for the whole county is 141,000. Mm-hmm. The most urban area with biggest population density is Johnstown, which is mm-hmm. the southern part. There is some fiber in the town, but not a lot. The rest of the county, there is no fiber anywhere, and being in the mountains, we um, it's very cost prohibitive to put fiber, and there's not a an incentive for companies to actually do that because of the business, the return on the investment would not uh, be a good business investment for them. Mm-hmm. So, going with uh, what people term as a wireless system was a, our only option here. Mm-hmm. So you um, and I will attest to the fact that uh, this is you know everybody. A lot of people know I'm from Philadelphia. That's where I was born. But uh, Johnstown is truly a rural place, and you kind of have to be here somewhat to get an idea. But there are obviously other communities that have these terrain issues. And um, well, what's interesting about the network is that uh, it's basically a point-to-point 
network and all of the coverage is based on uh, point of line of sight, which some folks would be surprised because you basically have covered what, 80, 90 some percent of the county? 90% of the county is okay. covered. Mm-hmm. How, how'd, you, how'd you make that work? Well, in the original, the original start to this was actually a change within the FCC mandating that the 911 system move from low-band radios to high-band radios. Mm-hmm. So when we were looking at that as a county, it required us to uh, upgrade our old 911 system, uh, which the radio waves at that time would, could actually go down into the valley and everything. It actually followed the terrain. Going to high-band radios, they became line of sight. So we had to design an entirely new 911 network and that required, we're currently at 20 towers spread across the county, and we use licensed microwave as the backbone to connect the, the towers together. Mm-hmm. You know, and once again, wireless is everything from Wi-Fi to a satellite signal, just so, so we all understand the same meaning of the word wireless. Mm-hmm. So the licensed microwave connects the towers, and then from there, we put on the land mobile radio systems, LMR, which is for the police, fire, and EMS, to connect to the towers. So when you make a 911 call, it goes to the 911 center. 911 will dispatch it. It runs over the licensed microwave to the tower or whatever place that you happen to be uh, calling from, mm-hmm. down to the land mobile radios, and then out to the police officer or the fire EMS, and they respond back, and it just reverses. When we, when we designed that system, we realized that because we were covering the county, that we had an opportunity to provide at that time, we were terming it rural broadband option to a lot of our residents who do not ha- didn't have any other options other than dial-up mm-hmm. over the uh, copper telephone lines. So that was explored and seen as a way to provide rural broadband um, at that time five years ago, which there weren't there were no other options other than a mm-hmm. normal telephone line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how we so we added another layer of wireless, being the broadband to it. Okay, so basically we're starting as a um, uh, public safety network and uh, built off infrastructure um, to address the uh, communities, residents from and businesses from there. Uh, use you know we talked a bit yesterday. Use describe the folks using the the six lane highway example because that actually made this network very understandable. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a uh, way we explain it is that. Because of the 911 system, we which could not go down because people are very, you know, they need to, when you dial 911, there's a crisis. So we built a six-lane highway, uh, information highway, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, we are currently using one lane of the six lanes because we built, it's a three OC3 rings redundancy built into it, which is 532 meg, if I have my numbers correct, mm-hmm. um, worth of backbone. So we have six lanes capable of information to be passed on. We're using one lane of that. Now, we've reserved lanes one, two, and three for public safety, so if with the redundancy built in. But mm-hmm. then we have lanes four, five, and six that are completely unused at this point. Mm-hmm. And so the six, so we have, we built the infrastructure, the highway, and then from there, we're, we call it adding the on ramps and off ramps and the restaurants and things like that by providing the uh, wireless broadband for mm-hmm. people, helping them to get mm-hmm. to that and everything. So now let's talk a little bit about the um, the dance then between the network and service providers 
and that whole political song and dance that that started back in, I guess it was '05 that the legislation passed. Mm-hmm. But you guys started working in '03, so you had to basically deal with you know building network, building in redundancy. You had extra capacity, and then you had this issue of you know you've got ISPs on one side and residences and businesses on the other, mm-hmm. and the cloud of this bill overhanging it all. How did you guys work through all of that to create uh, your initial system? And then you can segue into what you just finished and completed and announced yesterday. Sure. The um, the building this just a pure 911 system wouldn't have been any problems. Mm-hmm. But the minute we started addressing the need for broadband in the rural areas, we ran into Act 183, which is... Uh, Verizon, who pretty much owns the area, had the right of first refusal for any new services that were being requested. Mm-hmm. So we went to, we built, we put a paper together and we went to Verizon as the county and said, we want a network that provides the following capabilities. It has to be able to have minimum of three megs of download, upload and download speed to a resident or a residential or business community, um, up, up to 15 megs total. And then you know we went through the redundancy and everything, and we laid we gave that to Verizon. Verizon um, reviewed it and was unable to provide that. And this was a rather lengthy legal process. Mm-hmm. Uh, once Verizon said they were unable to provide that to the residents of Cambria County, then Cambria County had the option to build that system. Mm-hmm. So since we had the 911 backbone already uh, being implemented. Then they added that piece to it. It was it was almost like a it's a very modular system. They added the rural broadband aspect to it. Um, from there, we are being county government, we're we're not in the business of providing, you know, an like an ISP like I would be a service provider to come out to your house to install this system. So we then talked with local companies who were small ISPs, um, and a lot of them were just one or two man um, businesses if they would like to become providers of this network. So we would provide the backbone, but they would go out and be actually install the equipment at a residence or a business's house to get that three megs of download or six megs or nine megs. And uh, we had initially four companies at the time when mm-hmm. we first started. And then over the years, companies have you know decided to get out of the business. But we have, as of yesterday, we had one company left in the sticks um, which is up in the uh, East Carroll uh, area. Mm-hmm. And um, they have over 600 customers now. Hmm. And they're looking to expand to 800. Okay. With the change that we just did. Right. Now, at the beginning, was it restricted to just business services or residential? I think at one point at the start, it was only one, and then the other got added on later. Initially, it was just residential. Okay, original residential. Okay. And then businesses, um, the speeds that were able to be provided could not be guaranteed by the cable or Verizon at that time, cable mm-hmm. providers at that time. Mm-hmm. And so businesses were added to it. Okay. Interesting. So so you managed to, um, in essence, follow the law of the land and then build the network. Right. Now, um, yesterday, you announced the the new capacity. And then it's a little complicated, but I think we can kind of you right. know, uh, streamline it a bit so everybody can kind of get the, the next phase here. Right. Initially, um, the ISPs were that were the customers were using about 40 megs of bandwidth total. And we had 100 meg on lane, let's say lane one. Mm-hmm. We had 100 meg capacity. 
the ISPs were using about 40 to 45. Okay. As they have grown, they have bumped up to needing 50 and more. Mm-hmm. So, but we, um, as the county, did not need for our 911 system and county operations, did not need more bandwidth. So the ISPs over the past eight months, we've been working with them, have asked to have their basically their own lane. Mm-hmm. So, which would be a hundred megs of bandwidth, and um, through a lot of. Uh, of course, legal reviews and making sure we weren't uh, bending any rules or breaking any rules or breaking any laws or anything, we've been able to do what they call a transport agreement. So the ISPs have their own lane of the six-lane highway. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've segmented the government and 911 operations into lane one, and basically the ISPs now have lane six all to mm-hmm. themselves. Okay. It's simplified the operations. Right. And um, what is the... Um, the next step, do you think, for the the network for broadband in the community? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, now you're 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 bumping it up so they can get faster speed. Mm-hmm. Are there other plans? Are there other services? Are there providers coming in with other types of services beyond your basic, you know, dial-up? Uh, not dial-up, but your basic right. internet access. Right. The um well, the ISPs uh, in the sticks. Like I said that's the one company that's because the N sticks has. Had, bought two of their competitors, mm-hmm. uh, out of which we, from a business perspective, that's really good. That a small company that started out with just a couple of guys is now growing and expanding and providing more jobs and economic development within the community. So we do like seeing that. They are the ones who are beginning to provide more often like ESPN3 on their some of the options that you can actually get off the network. So we're allowing them, giving them the freedom of action um, to provide more services. We're the, um, we're the highway. So we, as they need more bandwidth, they can expand out bandwidth to provide more services. But mm-hmm. we, as the the government, we're just making sure that the highway is maintained for them. Right. So we, have, we as the government, have not planned more services. We're mm-hmm. just making sure they have the ability to do it. Well, right, 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 right. Um, now, from a needs perspective, how would you define um, the needs here? I mean. There's no heavy manufacturing. The steel mills have, have gone away. Right. Who's who's using broadband and for what kinds of apps? I mean, from your general observation. Mm-hmm. Well, from um, talking with a uh, actually, I, I do speak with the customers pretty on a regular basis. We um, are finding that we have one lady who is actually running a, a business out of her home on one of the Wi-Fi um, hotspots, mm-hmm. which we're very surprised at because that's a 1.3 meg, 1.5 meg throughput. But she's able to run a home business that she started up through that. Um, we're finding a lot of people using having the entrepreneurial spirit are using it to supplement their incomes, provide mm-hmm. doing uh, online businesses and everything. From an educational aspect, um, some of the parents that I've had a chance to speak with have said that the speeds that they've been able to get on, they've been able to up their children have been able to you know, download information quickly, surf the net, and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, more, the northern part of the county, which is very, very rural, when you're able to get the connection, because it is line of sight, you know, mm-hmm. the trees are in a way or a mountain or mm-hmm. buildings, that prohibits it. But the ones that are able to get that have said that it has been better for them from to be able to, from, actually, from a social aspect, to be able to see more than what's going on out there and this mm-hmm. is just a dial-up that they had in the past. Um, that's that's been very helpful um, for them is from not only from education but also just people just looking for information. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any kind of um, economic uh, benefit from the network so far? 
You, um, well, meaning, um, you, you, you know, you talk about there are folks starting supplemental um, businesses and so forth. Do you have any sense that some businesses are staying uh, because of this, that they're expanding, you know, or increasing their business or profitability because of the network? You know, um, I would I would say yes. Um, to a point, and once again, I'm limited in how many businesses I've talked to. I knew a one business, a local company. It's been here for years. He left the um, cable provider he was with and came to our to the we called it the Cambria Connected Network at the time. Mm-hmm. We threw one of the ISPs, and because of the throughput, the ability to uh, pull information off of it was faster. He was able to, and he, he expanded his business to a point to where our network couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. So at that, but at that time, that bought him a couple of years, to when fiber finally came to the local area, and he was able to get fiber to his building. Okay. So and then that's here in Johnson, I assume. Actually, in Richland, Richland. Just, uh, just, okay. a little, just a little north of here. North of here. Right. So we, um, while that's not a, we see that as a benefit because he wouldn't have been able to expand his business mm-hmm. under his old provider, and then he expanded to. By him expanding, he was able to afford fiber to come to his company then, and then he switched to fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mount Aloysius. Which was a, a, it's a university here, Catholic college. They um, were one of our largest users. They had a 20 meg connection to the uh, college, and that was providing all the informa- all the uh, internet needed for the college to include Wi-Fi hotspots for the students. And they have just now changed over to fiber because fiber came to Mount Aloysius up in mm-hmm. Crescent. So we see it as um, almost kind of like planting the seeds, and mm-hmm. it gets people going, and then when they're able to get other options. They can they can move to that mm-hmm. um, as fiber comes available. Once again, fiber is very limited. Right. But the cable, cables have been cable providers have been changing. Um, DSL is now more available than it was five years ago. So the technology landscape has changed, but it's mm-hmm. been an improvement for people in general. Right, right, right. Um, that's very interesting. How would you describe the um, I don't know the the economic. Uh, I don't know dynamic of of Johnstown. I mean, I've only been here for a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've walked around and you know seen that some of the nightlife is slow. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not New York City. In yeah, well, this, this is true. This is true. And it wasn't like it was really bustling when I was a kid, but right. um, you know, but during the day, you know, it seems like there, you know, there's a lot that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, would you? How would you describe it? Maybe in relative terms, other communities are you? Or is a better economy? Well, we um, and I'm not from here. I've been, I've been here 11 years now. Mm-hmm. After I retired from the Marine Corps, I, I chose to live here because um, I wanted the rural. I like the rural aspect of it, and uh, I came here for a job with a local defense contractor. And the um, Johnstown has been trying to. Uh, Actually, reinvent itself for a lack of a better term, because it was it was steel capital. Mm-hmm. Between here in Pittsburgh, in fact, Johnstown produced more steel than Pittsburgh did. Right, it was pretty intense. And, and then steel steel died, and then there's there's coal mines here, but the Johnstown's been struggling to turn itself around, and it's been it's a very long and slow process because it's a culture within the community of you know we were always steel and coal and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Congressman Murtha, before his passing was very instrumental in bringing a lot of, of businesses and incentives to come to Johnstown to set up um, businesses. CTC, DRS, mm-hmm. Laurel, Northrop Grumman are here. But they, um, but once again, he, he, he passed. Uh, there was a shifting of power within Congress, which means a shifting of money. Mm-hmm. So 
the town itself is looking at how do we use the assets that we have and you know to bring people here the new commissioners are working on a foreign tra- a far, uh, foreign free trade zone at the local airport mm-hmm. um, which has the the uh, camera connected system on it, the wireless system and uh, that is actually going through and it's it's actually they're looking estimating between 20 and 30 million dollars worth of revenues per year starting out with it the really president commissioner here's a retired uh, colonel from the air force who was the attache for nato for south america so he's very very well connected in a lot of the south american companies uh, countries and they're actually looking at providing uh, doing a winery up here mm-hmm. to do a bottle wine and everything mm-hmm. and distribute it so the um it's a slow change as you're trying to turn yourself around within the uh, the community itself. Right now, it's still I wouldn't say stagnant, but it's beginning to it's it's gone from stopped to beginning to move into a more positive direction. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the passing of Congressman Murtha was a shock. Right, you know, right. He, he was a, he was a, basically a, uh, he's a legend now, but he was a um, a mainstay within the community. Right. And then when he passed. Um, that was a shock, and it was about two years for the for the local area to kind of realize that their main guy was no longer in Congress representing them because it's been such a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnstown had been, um, so the the community is looking at and the community leaders of how do we work together to take all the assets that we have mm-hmm. and use them as a team. To where before it was always kind of an individual, mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm. communities. Now they're looking at more of a holistic approach. Right. So it, it is it getting better. From initially, you look at it, people say no. But if you stand back and you kind of look at things, you can see the the economy is beginning to to bump into the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, can you see the network uh, playing a role in this change? And who within the community is going to drive that? Do you think? Um, I'll answer the second half of your question first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I think it's the uh, for for driving that change. It's got to be the community leaders, the um, not only the elected officials, but the the leaders within the community. Because you don't have to be elected to be able to affect change. Um, that's going to be that's most of that. That's going to be the driver. And then the businesses working together, the network itself, um, as as the it changes over to digital because the FCC is mandating, you know, I don't have an exact date, but we know in five years we have to look at upgrading this, this overall system to digital radio mm-hmm. that will improve services. And as technology has improved, we're actually looking at how do we change the Wi what we would call the Wi-Fi system, the wireless systems out on the, the towers to improve coverage, to provide it for more, um, Residents, mm-hmm. but we have noticed uh, we call it soft benefit, is that when the at that time the Cambria connected system when it was first started in 2008, that one of the local cable companies actually reduced their rates, mm-hmm. which of course we're in a very economically challenged area. Um, they they reduced their rates. Plus Verizon Wireless um, came to the commissioners at the time and announced that they had moved Johnstown up three years on its 4G network deployment. And so now we have 4G in the area, mm-hmm. So, which is very surprising, considering that we're not like Philadelphia or New York or Baltimore City a very, very, or Pittsburgh, a very large city. We're a very small community, rural community. So I think those are um, the, the Cambria Connected System helped drive larger ISPs 
to uh, implement better technology quicker. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a soft benefit that people right. don't realize. Now, do you think that this kind of benefit can replay, be replayed in other communities in the state? I'm going to be one of the reasons I'm here actually mm -hmm. in, in uh, at this particular time is I'm going to be in Pittsburgh tomorrow giving a uh, presentation. They bring, they're bringing folks together that have worked on or that are affected by this regional network that's mm -hmm. being built sort of in the counties around Cambria mm -hmm. County. And so, you know, do you think that this kind of impact, either the soft impact or the direct impact, can be replicated in other communities, other counties here in the state? Yes, I do. Okay. I have, uh, and I'm not saying that because I've been working with this network for you know past year or so. I've actually, I've been in the what you would call the wireless industry, the radio industry for 35 years. Mm -hmm. um, Marine Corps, I was a communications officer, mm -hmm. so I've dealt with lots of radio systems and everything. And you know, with the the mountainous region that we have, it is a dollar for dollar to put in a tower and a licensed microwave shop between the tower is far cheaper than putting in fiber. The, the numbers are old, but I was the, I've always used these numbers. It takes between thirty-five thousand and fifty thousand dollars a mile for fiber. Right. Um, and those are those are two or three years old. I haven't updated those. Right. Between thirty-five thousand and fifty thousand dollars a mile. People say, well, fiber doesn't cost that much. No, it doesn't. However, you have to do the environmental impacts. You right. You have to get all of the permissions to go on to. Um, to poles and everything, uh, uh, permissions to cross certain lands. If you're having a wetlands area, then you have a much greater, you know, uh, environmental things you have to meet and everything. So a tower is completely outfitted as two hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and then it's a hundred thousand dollars for the shot between a licensed microwave shot. So two towers is four hundred thousand dollars and a hundred and a hundred thousand for the shot. So you're half a million dollars for a um, Two towers and a shot, and you could do those thirty miles apart. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a uh, quite a cost savings. Right. So I don't understand why other communities haven't taken this and looked at it and found that it is a uh, very cost effective model to building a uh, broadband network. Mm -hmm. Now, um, this is interesting. Uh, how did you manage to get? line of sight into so many places because again if you were to look at a you know just the pictures i have of, mm -hmm. of you know just taking going around johnstown and and you know i'm picking out all these areas around us that have these you know these hills and these tall trees and whatnot mm -hmm. um line of sight must be a, a challenge but you still manage to cover 90 percent of the state right i mean of the, of the county right and let me let me clarify the 90 percent of the county that was um once again the, the focus was 911 so we have 90% of the county covered with the towers that when I'm on, I'm a police officer or a, or a firefighter EMS, that my radio, which has to be line of sight, can mm -hmm. see a tower. Okay. Um, on the the broadband side of it, now you that that is um, not as robust because the. Uh, a lot of the when you get down in the houses and everything, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have a you have, your one house is closer higher than the other. Right. You might not be able to achieve line of sight. Right. But when people ask me that, of how did you get the line of sight? 
um, I, I kind of chuckled because it's not, it wasn't complicated. We actually walked around the communities, and you would stand at the lowest part, and then you would look up, and you'd find the tallest mountain. Mm-hmm. And then you'd look on the mountain to see if there was a tower there. And then we would go. To, then we would drive to the tower if there was, and then see who owned the tower and everything. And mm-hmm. then would look at that. So that's how we did it. Is we looked for the highest points. Right. Um, wasn't a. We didn't have to split atoms or figure out the relativity. <laughs> you just looked up. It was a basic kind of kind of simple, but it did work. Because you have a lot of high spots. I mean, that's that's right. really. I think you know. I mean, looking at it would be it's useful to help you know look at this to look at this map. But basically, the the nature of the beast is that um, yes, there are a lot of communities down in a bowl, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the upside if, uh, in that geography is that there's always high points, right. and that that beam down to that area. Mm-hmm. Unless you're a cabin somewhere, kind of nestled between a couple of trees, right. uh, you're probably. Um, you know, because I mean, what many, even the smallest towns in the county still are fairly concentrated mm-hmm. pockets, as opposed to being literally scattered across right. the county. Yes, and then um, a lot of, especially up north, a lot of them were um, coal mining towns. Coal mining towns. Oh yeah, and, um, those. Which were, you know, because once again, the industry in the south, Johnstown, was steel. Right. And they had to be supplied with coal and coke and everything. So the, the communities all north, which is where all the coal was, was always um, bringing the coal down south. So you have, like I said, you have these nested, nestled pockets of um, communities. And other than a tree, usually there's a way that the technicians, if they can see the tower, can figure out a way to, to get you line of sight. We, you know, we have some houses that have a, a 10-foot pole extender where they've actually taken a radio and they they will attach it to the pole and they run the pole up onto a chimney mm-hmm. and then attach the pole to the chimney and can get line of sight. Mm-hmm. So there, there are creative ways to be able to do that. Is it is it 100%? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. But anything with line of sight, as long as you can see it and you have the power, you can get to it. Right. And that's an interesting thing. Now, the other interesting thing is the, <clears throat> the cost of... Uh, breakdown um we were right before the show you mentioned what it was and i was a little bit surprised because mm-hmm. um when you talk about the cost for building the public safety network mm-hmm. and then the cost for adding on capacity for residents and businesses um it wasn't that much extra no the, the total the total network the cambria county network as we call it was 10 million dollars it was a 10 million dollar loan that we took to, to build the uh, network um Nine point six million of that was for public safety. Uh huh. So for four hundred thousand, it's actually four hundred sixty-three thousand dollars is the exact price. Um, the broadband, rural broadband aspect was added to it. So it was nine million for the um, for the for the overall infrastructure. Nine point five. Nine point five. Okay. All right. And um, and then basically. Um, uh, now, by the way, where did that come from? Was that was that paid for out of um, grants, or was there? That a was an, it was an actual loan from the bank. Really? To, yes, it was a um, a loan from the bank that the uh, the previous commissioners, because we had to upgrade the nine one one system, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a um, requirement. There was no getting out around it, and the commissioners said, well, we have to upgrade it. What's it going to cost? And because of the requirements to go to high band radios. That was a higher cost, so it came in at about the initial estimate was eight million dollars. Then, um, at that time, our rating, 
our um, bond been, rating. Our bond rating mm-hmm. had been dropped significantly. Oh, really? Yes, the bank would not fund the county um, for eight million dollars unless there was a way to bring to show that there was going to be a way to help pay for this system, help offset some of the costs and everything. Okay. So in the discussions of you know what do they do, then the um, company who had won the bid said, well, we could add. Um, rural broadband to it, which was one of the reco- which was one of the things that were being discussed anyway. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the discussion went around, you know, how much would that be? And it was estimated at around two million to be extremely robust. Mm-hmm. Um, so they added ten, you know, two million to it, came to a ten million dollar loan. And then as they were building this, like all projects, uh, a lot of cost overruns that they didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of a couple of towers that we thought we could get couldn't. So we actually had to go out and build towers and everything. So they had that $2 million set aside for rural broadband. So they used that money to for the 911 side. Mm-hmm. And then when they got done, they had a half a million dollars for the, the um, broadband side of it. So are we talking this whole thing was a RUS loan, not a bank loan? Or it was a bank loan? It was a bank loan. It was a bank loan. M&T Bank. Okay. Um, so I think I got lost a little bit then on the, 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 the relationship with the loan and then the RUS loan was a way to well, just basically cover the overruns. Uh, no, no, no. They, um, uh, if I, I apologize if I misspoke on RUS. No, the they had a loan for ten million dollars, and for that, when the bank approved it, was ten million dollars. There was no other money, so they had to oh, right. build. Okay, okay. They had you. to build a nine one one system. Right. But there were cost overruns on that, so they took the overruns out of the broadband, the $2 million they had set aside for broadband. Oh, okay. Out of the $10 million originally. Got it. And then when they got done building the 911 system, they said, well, how much money do we have left over for broadband? And it was a half a million dollars. So we built, the, which the, we added the broadband side onto it with the half a million dollars mm-hmm. that we had left. And it was we concentrated it mostly around the populated areas, Evansburg, Johnstown, um, Carrolltown area. Mm-hmm. So, now... But that 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 covers into what these are nine towers, ten towers, twenty towers, twenty towers. Twenty towers. So the half million covered the twenty towers. Most of them. Most of them. Okay. Most, because like well, we, like we you and I were laughing yesterday. There's one called Lost Mountain. Right. <laughs> um, it's not named Lost Mountain because you can find it easy. Yeah, There's indeed. Not a lot around. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> not a lot around. <laughs> got it. Got it. So. Um, now this is all very interesting because again I look at um, as, as communities struggle to try to figure out how to make broadband work. I I wonder if a community that goes after building a public safety network, especially now that FirstNet has become this thing on the mm-hmm. at least the DC horizon and it's it's only now like few people are really starting to understand what FirstNet is about. I right? mean mm-hmm. it's it, it's a complicated beast and and all of that, but the assumption is that that initiative will inspire a lot of development of public safety networks because that's the nature of the beast. They're basically trying to make all this money available to go after building public safety networks. So based on your metrics, would it not be, you know, out of the question for communities to say, you know what, we will build our public safety network and then we can find uh, you know, a million dollars or half a million dollars or whatever to add on to that to then make broadband available. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know what any of the, the the protocol and restrictions might be on on FirstNet, but just the sheer strategy of 
saying, okay, well, let's go after money for public safety, and then an add-on add or an annex will be to then support broadband for the general public. Does that seem viable? Well, yeah, well, that's that's what we've, we have done, is we, if you're going to build a road, you might as well provide the options while you're building it because it's it's lower cost at that time. Then they come back and add on to it. Mm-hmm. So if you're building a network for public safety, and if it's going to be you know wireless, the microwave backbone to to get over the mountains and to get your long shots and everything, then you might as well have the option to say, well, we can add broadband to it and provide that to our to the residents. You know, so mm-hmm. there's no reason why it shouldn't be. We we've proven the model here, um, and we've learned. A lot of lessons from doing this, you know, because it's, it's we have this. This has been on our, under our belt for five years now. This is our fifth year of operation, so there's a lot of lessons learned on how we did this. And if a community was looking at it, you know, asking the questions, well, what did you learn? How did you do this? And what would you do different in the future? Mm-hmm. That's what they could benefit from this. Right. We're the first guys. We're the guinea pigs. Okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Now the, the thing is about this is that. Um, it does replicate also another variation on the strategy, which is what Chattanooga used, where Chattanooga built their network initially uh, as a way to support smart grid. So they didn't start out to build a broadband network. They went after smart grid. Well, it was easier, number one, to get approvals. It was easier to go chase after grants um, because, you you know, and also there was a certain level of, you know, people felt a need to have smart grid um, networks. And so, so Chattanooga builds out this 600-mile network that touches every home and trailer park in their footprint mm-hmm. because you have to because you're supplying electricity there. Right. But the upside was they were then able to tie on fiber for residential use. Mm-hmm. In essence, the bulk of the network build out was covered by something else or several something else's, right. and um, and both politically and financially you were then able to add on broadband mm-hmm. much easier. Right. So and then just so you're basically showing an avenue that is a similar kind of mindset, which mm-hmm. is, you know. Yeah, and one of the things that had been discussed um and actually in another another county, in another state, was building a similar network, but then but putting the towers within a neighborhood. And so you'd get your, and this is a very a rural region like the county here and very mountainous, but use the microwave, the wireless microwave shots to provide the connection, but then run fiber to all the buildings, to the homes and everything, mm-hmm. and the fiber would run to the tower, and then that would be uploaded up to the microwave shot and make your shot to connect to the next in the next community over. Mm-hmm. So we call that the hybrid solution. It was combining fiber um, as well as microwave license or um, wireless mm-hmm. to uh, use the two technologies, which are two very good technologies, right? And um, provide internet to people. And microwave has been around forever. Mm-hmm. It is a very good technology, right? And it's solid and it's proved and yes. proven and all the rest of it. Now, did you have to deal with a certain culture of resistance from public safety folks who, in a number of places, get in- incredibly hypersensitive about? The public coming anywhere near their treasure, precious treasured public safety <laughs> network. Uh, Clearly, you did not have that issue here, but well, you know, 
is that yeah. a, is this a sign of things that might come? I mean, well, the um, and I think we didn't have it as much here because the old network was it had five towers which were connected with microwave, and then um, but it was on a low band radio. So expanding to a you know at the time seventeen towers microwave wasn't a big leap of faith, but explaining the ability to from a security aspect, segment public safety information and internet traffic from your everyday user was a, uh, a rather animated discussion <laughs> several times. <laughs> so, but you got them past that. Yes, yes. It's, it's, but what, what got them past it? Um, kind well, kind of well. Explaining part of it is that uh, fortunately, and, and the public safety guys very sharp individuals. You know, they have their mindset of, you know, they're there to make sure that you're safe and everything. Mm -hmm. But there is so much technology integrated into public safety now, like what they call CAD, computer-aided dispatch. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, they have those laptops in the apparatuses now between the squad cars and the, and the uh, fire trucks and everything and mm -hmm. the ambulances. That it, it's that, that mindset that this is a good thing you know, the technology is not something to be afraid of, was kind of already there. The seed was there. It just had to be a lot of discussions about how we can show by using, you know, encoding and segmenting of traffic on the network and everything that it was not going to interfere with them. But most importantly, I think that really helped was we showed that the 9, since this is primarily a 911 system, the 911 traffic would always have the priority. Mm -hmm. It would trump everything else. Mm -hmm. And that it was, it was encoded, it was, you know, encoded so it would not be seen. You can't get into it. Mm -hmm. And one thing else about this network is the uh, encryption on it is so high, it is actually HIPAA compliant. You mm -hmm. can pass medical records over it and not have to worry about um, being uh, basically violating any HIPAA compliance regulations. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a, that's a monumental effort in its own right. From what I understand of the HIPAA requirements, if you can meet those as a network, as a technology, mm -hmm. um, you, you pretty much can go anywhere because mm -hmm. HIPAA is just, you know, right. crazy. Oh, it's restrictive. Yes, it's very challenging, <laughs> <laughs> which is a polite word. You learn diplomacy rather well here at this job. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> I have to. I have to balance myself between both parties. Oh, there so, you go. Yeah. There you go. That was that was interesting. Now, let's talk about the relationship between the network and ISPs. So you're basically open access. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the world did not come to an end because there's certain in certain uh, ISP circles, everybody freaks out about having to work on an open access network. Right. Um, how did you get people past that? And then let's segue to talk about how do you just you know maintain these relationships with ISPs mm -hmm. in general? Right. Um, well, the 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 original business model of how it was when the ISPs came on, we would carve out a certain amount of bandwidth. The ISP would say, well, I would need, um, I'm going to have this many customers, I'm going to need this much bandwidth. So we would carve that out for them. And then using our network um, network management system, NMS, I had to remember the, the, the acronyms, NMS, mm -hmm. um, we gave them access to that so they could go in and they could see their customers' radios um, on the network and everything and manage it remotely. So if a radio went down, instead of them having to dispatch a technician out there, they could just go in and remotely reboot the radio, turn it back on, reset the IP address. Um, that helped them understand that you know, it was just theirs and you know they couldn't see the other ISPs on it. 
connect and we had four ISPs. Um, and then when they would add customers, drop customers, we as the county had to, from a business model, look at how many customers they added, and we were charging them a certain fee per customer and everything. So mm -hmm. it was fee-based. Um, and that worked. That was okay, but it was very cumbersome. And right, this, right. this is part of the lessons learned. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we have uh, matured to, we've now moved to, as of yesterday, the, um, we call it the transport agreement, to where because we had a bandwidth limitation. We could not provide more bandwidth to the to the ISPs, and they needed more to be able to add more customers. So we um, have now that we gave them lane six, and the ISP is <coughs> able to use up to 250 megs of bandwidth on that lane, and they can now add all the customers they want, and they pay us a flat fee for it. Mm -hmm. But once again, they have access to the NMS, they have their piece of it, and they manage their customers. So they're managing their lane. Um, and we as the, uh, I'll have to have my IT guys looking at this on a regular basis, trying to figure out, you know, how many customers they add, how many did they take off. They just pay us a flat fee for the use of that lane. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a, uh, the, the NMS was very helpful for that, to the time, for them to see that they're managing their customers, they don't have anybody else looking at their customers, mm -hmm. and that they don't have, you know, no, another ISP is not coming in, seeing their customers and trying to take them away from them. Mm-hmm. Is that so in essence you offered a certain level of customer protection. Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a rough lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no no worries. Um that's that's a that's a biggie because um even um wow, places other places that have very successful networks talk about this issue of having to get still having to get over the hurdle of one provider and other providers just not being, you know, mm -hmm. not being comfortable. And, you know, I would think that at this point people would have figured this dynamic out. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess it's still – it's such a sensitive enough area that people just right. kind of – Yeah, but, you know, when, going back to the highway analogy, you know, we all drive down the, you know, highways regularly. Right. And I'm pretty secure in my – my truck when I drive down the road. Right, and right. I want to make a lane change. I flip on the signal most times mm -hmm. and, and come on over. <laughs> so, yeah, true. I understand and, that one. And security and with encryption. I mean, you know, other than I think the NSA, you know, pretty much everybody stays out of each other's business. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're, you know, we're, if you're on the an open access network, and you know the, the provider, you know, who runs the network has given you your your lane, mm -hmm. you're going to be, you know, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, but like anything, change is, change is good, but can also be very intimidating to people. When right. They're not used to, used to doing it one particular way and saying, oh, we're going to do it this way now and everything's going to be fine. Um, it's almost like the scariest word, you know, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand how that part can go. People yeah. get a little, get a little squirrely. Right. Right. But you're, but um, it's interesting in, um, uh, there's a there's a plate. I've got these folks on the on the show one day, but they're from Three Lakes, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. and their geography I actually I think is similar to um, the geography here in, in Cambria County, and um, they went to great lengths to bring the community folks together at one time to then meet with service providers. Mm -hmm in order to get service providers chilled out to the fact that there is enough business and that they could still survive. So a local cable company, 
a local wireless company, at least one, if not two, and Verizon coexists mm-hmm. in their in their world. Um, now, I don't know if they've built a, an open access network per se, but they managed to get all of those providers to still play in the same community mm-hmm. and feel fairly comfortable that they will each be able to, to, to do well. Right. And then you have done a, a similar kind of thing uh, because, you know, at first blush, I think one of the issues with um, community networks in rural and sparsely populated areas is the fact that the numbers, there aren't a whole lot of numbers. and Everyone gets all squirrely about um, competing for a small customer base with anybody, let alone, right. you know, three or four. Mm-hmm. And it requires a certain level of diplomacy, I think. It does. Not a good word. And it's also balancing, um, you know, we talk about the take rate. When mm-hmm. you're in the ISP business, you know, what is your take rate for a community? Um, the the rule of thumb that we've always used is 10%. Mm-hmm. So if um, you know for us for a small provider now Atlantic Broadband or Comcast I'm sure they have much more ah, than right, 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 right. But it um, for 141,000 you know people in the entire county you know take rates 14,000 people. Um, we have Atlantic Broadband, Comcast, Verizon is here, and of course the the ISPs that are on the Cambria the Cambria County network. Well, in the sticks now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sticks has 600 customers. It's you know, total, mm-hmm. and they and they're expanding. They want they want to, their goal is to hit to a thousand customers and everything, and that's you know less than one percent of it. They're very happy with it, and they're they're providing. When I when I spoke with the um, owners of it, I said, you know, who is your customer? <clears throat> and they said, we are so rural that our customers have two options: dial up or this. Mm-hmm. And and there's there's no cable. There's or satellite, which is prohibitively expensive because while and that's what it's sometimes hard to explain from people who are very from very large cities, are saying, well, how can it be very expensive? Well, when you're out here and your mean income is thirty three thousand dollars a year, you know, a seventy dollar a month bill for uh, to be able to get to the internet is, is a very large expense. Mm-hmm. So we do have a very rural, economically challenged community that we have to be very sensitive to. So providing a network that has a lower cost. Is very helpful for them, mm-hmm. and um, I, I know I got a little off subject. No, there, no, no, that's but, fine. But yeah, it's um, it's been helpful that way to the community of having a, another option. Mm-hmm. And Instix says that you know, as um, the cable companies expand and as Verizon Wireless expands um, and, and 4G comes more into the area, then people are able to use their cell phones. You know, for bringing down the internet and everything, which they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a. Uh, but they said that their customers are they are the company of last resort for these people to be able to get on uh, internet, mm-hmm. which is you know hard for people to understand when they're from a large metropolitan area. Right. But I think the one thing about the folks that listen to the show, I, you know, a lot of them come from those areas, mm-hmm. work with those areas. So, I mean, we understand the the, dy- the the dynamic, and I think the other part that needs to be understood. You know, when sort of folks at the national level say, you know, well, these are small areas and there's not enough business there. And so mm-hmm. you can't justify uh, being a network. In other words, one of the sort of the arguments against communities having their networks is that, well, you know, this is a small rural area and, and, and you don't have a whole lot of people there. How are you going to make money? And you can get around some of that issue because. For the average small ISP, 
their needs aren't the same. Mm -hmm. And because their needs aren't the same, they're smaller, it's easier for them to see clear to a profit. I mean, that's why WISP get, you know, really disgruntled that they don't get enough of the um, support that they need and respect that they want because they work at different margins, so they don't necessarily need a lot, but they need to have access to that mm -hmm. market. And, you know, so they need people to come in and say, look, you know, don't put any barriers in front of these guys. Mm -hmm. um, but if we don't put any barriers in front of them, they can come in and make a decent livelihood mm -hmm. serving our small areas. Right. You know, yeah, you know. and that's what this one uh, this one company is doing. There are six people in the company. Started off with two, and they're up to six now, five years later, and continuing to grow. And they have different margins, like you said, they have to mm -hmm. hit. It's completely different than Atlantic Broadband or Comcast or Verizon. No. Right. But, the, uh, I, but I would I would you know, say that somebody says with these small communities, you know, you can't make a lot of money. No, you can't make a lot of money. But if you can provide a service to the communities, the communities are just as deserving as getting out to the internet mm -hmm. and the educational opportunities and, and the social opportunities that are there, just as much as Philadelphia or Baltimore or New York. Mm -hmm. You know, just because they're a small, tiny community, doesn't mean they don't count. Mm -hmm. so. Now, what do you think about? Um, Communities building their own network, as in physically building their own network. Mm -hmm. I had on the show uh, a number of months ago a community from England, um, Broadband to the Rural North, Barn for short, mm -hmm. and they literally, you know, because farmers know how to use equipment to till the land, right. you know, for some period of time, swapped out, you know, cable laying equipment, you know, trenching equipment for for, for networks. And basically went about the business of building their own network, and they do that in large part because um, it it's doable. I mean, in other words, you can find people locally who can do some of the basic sheer, you know, mechanical work mm -hmm. that's not, um, you know, software programming intense, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and save a lot of money by building their own. And in the U.S., uh, EC Fiber is probably the best example. Um, of of that kind of you know we give our we give our um, uh, we give our citizens you know the equipment they're managed by competent you know people right. that are contractors mm -hmm. and we you know teach them basic level uh, service and support so they can answer calls because in the dead of winter no one's going to actually come out here from any mm -hmm. company to fix a problem right. and by doing that they are able you know you talked about the cost of maybe thirty five to fifty thousand dollars per mile, um, they are able to build that network in Vermont, which is where EC Fiber is, mm -hmm. for about a third of that. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that that kind of uh, effort can be replicated you know, in, in the county or in the state? I don't see why it wouldn't be. Um, I'm not a, uh, trying to get political here, but I'm not a guy that's looking to, for my elected officials to solve all my problems. Mm -hmm. Um, we as a nation didn't build ourselves with the government coming in and fixing everything for us. Mm -hmm. We did it ourselves. The um, I don't see that there should be there. Sh I don't see why there's any barriers to a community building its own network to provide the services that are required. Especially if a large company doesn't see the return on its investment by coming in for them to do it. So the people should work together to provide the services that they want. Mm -hmm. so I don't see why we shouldn't do that everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, the logistics of that, how would you, if if that were to become a, a movement, 
would it be that same leadership group that you talked about initially in the show, you know, your uh, elected officials plus your sort of unofficial leaders of the community, could they be brought together to marshal that kind of an effort locally, do you think? I think they, they would be the ones who would start it. But when it comes to managing a technology project, that making ensuring that the right people are hired to oversee it, mm-hmm. um, that that would be the, the second most important step mm-hmm. because technology projects usually fail due to a lack of proper planning. Right, the devil's in the details always yeah. has been, um, and thinking through all the issues. Mm-hmm. But it would be the it would have to be the community leadership would get together to spearhead that, and then putting the right team together mm-hmm. to make sure it happens would be a would be a good model. Hmm. Okay, that would be that would be kind of interesting. I think to see um, that take place. I mean, there's there was a guy I had on my show a year ago, you know, that talked about communities need to um, take the responsibility and learn these kinds of skills mm-hmm. necessary for the network because you can call in consultants, but when the consultants leave, all that knowledge goes away. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've trained folks, you've created a way to train additional people to, you know, take up the uh, the, the customer service side or mm-hmm. the basic tech support side, that you can then be a you, you can then have a stronger community network as a result. Yes, agreed. Well, the old saying of you know, give a man a fish, he eats him a day, <laughs> eats him the fish, he can right. himself. It is that philosophy, yeah, yes. no doubt, no yeah. doubt. So you know. And and I've done consulting work. You're right. When you walk away with your 30 years of experience, the the person who is there that you helped with has to be able to operate it on their own. Mm-hmm. And so having that ability, you know, train the trainer. You know, the, the the person comes in and teaches everybody how to operate it themselves independent mm-hmm. is very very important. Mm-hmm. So we've got like two minutes left here. What's like the one key lesson that you would leave with your you know, colleagues in other counties in in the state, should they look to do what you have done to work around the restriction that some people think uh, feel is greater than what it actually is? Yeah, I, I would say that don't don't allow Act 182 to intimidate you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a broadband needs in the in the community, and you have a 911 system, I don't know any community that doesn't have a 911 system, mm-hmm. and it's wireless, and you can piggyback off of it then go ahead and use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more of a drill go through the legal side of it to get past the Act 182. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can do that, then do it because it's a benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing. Excellent. Well, we are going to wrap. This has been um, a pleasure. I uh, thank you for your time and participation. Uh, I do appreciate you having me. It's uh, quite an honor. No worries. And I'm happy to actually be in the same building where as a kid, my grandmother and I, we shop often. It's now office buildings, but it used to be a grocery store, department store. I mean, this being in Johnstown has been really fun. Mm-hmm. And um, to my audience, thank you for listening in. You know, take these lessons to heart, and let's, you know, keep continuing. This continue to bring, um, you know, this technology, this broadband technology, into areas where folks say it can't be done. Well, I think Cambria County is a good example of what can be done. So take those lessons to heart. Uh, Tomorrow, I will be on the show again, but in Pittsburgh, uh, where I'll be speaking uh, for a group there. They're they're finishing up a major regional network project there. So stay tuned. Come back again and listen to us. And as always, you know, keep, keep moving broadband forward. Have a great day.